Hello, Deadly Deeders, and welcome to the pilot episode of the Deadly Deeds True Crime Podcast. Deadly Deeds will be delving into the most compelling and chilling true crime stories. I'm your host, Chris King, and today we're diving into a case that shook the nation. The Chris Watts case, a tragic tale of betrayal, murder, and the devastating loss of innocent lives. We'll explore the timeline, dissect the investigation, and uncover the complexities behind this harrowing story. So without further delay, fasten your seatbelts as we seek to understand this tragic case. This is Deadly D's podcast, and this episode is Unraveling the Chris Watts Case. Chris Watts, a Colorado man, infamously murdered his pregnant wife, Shanann, and their two daughters, Bella and Celeste, in August of 2018. Now, initially, Watts reported them missing, but later confessed to strangling Shanann after an argument and subsequently smothering his daughters. Later, Watts disposed of their bodies at a work site related to his employment. The case gained widespread media attention due to the shocking nature of the crimes and Watts's eventual guilty plea, which resulted Watts in multiple life sentences without the possibility of parole. As a Colorado resident myself, I can tell you from personal experience that this case chilled me to the bone. And as it gained nationwide traction and new discoveries were made, it not only left a deep impact on the community of Frederick, Colorado and Colorado residents, but ultimately ended up shocking the nation. Now to give a little context and background to this case, I'd like to talk to you about Chris's background uh, to include his early life and family dynamics. Chris Watts was born on May 16th, 1985 in Fayetteville, North Carolina. His upbringing appeared relatively typical. However, insights into his early life revealed no glaring indicators of future violent behavior. He was the typical high high school student and attended Pine Forest High School and showed an interest in sports, particularly playing on the school's varsity football team. Chris later attended a local college, but eventually dropped out. He struggled with financial stability and relationships, which seemed to intensify as he grew older. In 2010, he met Shannon, and they were married after a whirlwind romance in 2012. Shannon was vivacious, outgoing, while Watts was more reserved, creating a dynamic that attracted and complemented each other. Their family initially seemed picture perfect, especially after the births of their two daughters, Bella and Celeste. Yet behind closed doors, there were tensions financial strains, arguments, and reports of marital discord. The family moved to Colorado, hoping for a fresh start and fresh mountain air, but the cracks in their relationship deepened. Watts, who worked in the oil and gas industry, had a demanding job with long hours, frequent travel, which added to the strain of their already troubled marriage. Despite attempts at counseling, their relationship continued to deteriorate, ultimately leading to the tragic and unfortunate events that unfolded in August of 2018. Shanann Watts was born Shanann Rusick. She was a vibrant and ambitious woman known for her outgoing personality and strong presence on social media. She was born on January 10th, 1984 in New Jersey. Shanann's life revolved around her family and her career in direct sales, where she found considerable success. Shanann's enthusiasm for life was evident in her social media posts. She was a devoted mother to their two daughters, Bella and Celeste, and was actively engaged in promoting health and wellness products through her work. Their relationship, initially passionate and seemingly solid, began to show signs of strain after their move to Colorado. Shanann's social media portrayed a joyful family, but behind the scenes, there were underlying tensions. Shanann's friends and family described her as a loving mother, devoted to her family, and fiercely protective of her two children. Her tragic and untimely death in 2018 at the hands of Chris Watts shocked those who knew her and drew widespread attention to the complexities of their relationship, leaving many questions of what truly transpired within the seemingly perfect family. 
Now I'm going to talk about a brief introduction to the events leading up to the disappearance of Shanann and their children. I'm then going to focus on the timeline of events and break down the time frame up to their disappearance. So in the sweltering heat of August of 2018, and I do remember that summer, it was at points very unbearable. A seeming idyllic family was poised on the edge of a haunting tragedy, vanished from their home in Frederick, Colorado, sending shockwaves through their community and beyond. The events leading up to this chilling dis disappearance revealed a web of complexities within the seemingly perfect family facade. Tensions brewed beneath the surface, unseen to the world in the confines of their home. Financial strains, simmering marital discord, and Chris's own internal struggles were the ominous undercuts to this haunting tale. As the investigation unfolded, the unraveling truth exposed a stark contrast to the picture-perfect images shared on social media. In a moment, we will talk through the timeline of events. On the morning of Monday, August 13th, 2018, Shanann returned home from a business trip to Arizona. She and Chris exchanged some texts, seeming normal. By afternoon the same day, Shanann has a doctor's appointment and later tells Chris about a possible marital issue. She expresses concern about Chris's behavior. By evening on the 13th, Shanann and Chris have an emotional conversation about their relationship, and Shanann tries to resolve things. Chris later claims they had an argument. On the morning of Tuesday, August 14th, 2018, Chris claims that he and Shanann have had a discussion about separating. Shanann confides in a friend about the problems in her marriage. By that afternoon, Shanann and Chris visit a friend's house to watch a video of their recent trip. Shanann doesn't return home until later that night. This is the last day Shanann was publicly seen. Later that evening, Chris claims to have had an emotional conversation with Shanann, but provides no details about her subsequent disappearance. Wednesday, August 15th, 2018, at 1.48 a.m., Chris claims to have seen Shanann when he wakes up, but this is the last time he says he saw her. Later that morning, he contacts a realtor to discuss selling their home. On the morning of Thursday, August 16th, 2018, Shanann's friend, Nicole Atkinson, unable to reach Shanann, goes to their home, finding no one was there. She contacts Chris and the police. By that afternoon, police search the Watts' home, and Chris makes a public plea for the return of his family. By the morning of Friday, August 17th, 2018, Chris is interviewed by various media outlets, pleading for Shanann and the girls to come home. Afternoon of that same day, Chris fails a polygraph test administered by the Colorado Bureau of Investigations, or CBI. And by Saturday morning, August 18th, 2018, Chris is arrested after confessing to killing Shanann, claiming it was in a fit of rage after seeing her allegedly harm their daughters. This timeline illustrates the unraveling of events preceding the disappearance of Shanann and her children, accumulating in the shocking revelation of Chris Watts's involvement in their murders. During the next segment of this episode, we're gonna break down the analysis of the investigation process and the initial suspicions that law enforcement expressed. Stay tuned. The initial investigation into the disappearance of Shanann Watts and her children was swift and intensive. It was marked by escalating suspicions and mounting evidence pointing toward Chris Watts. Now, when I look at and I broke down the initial suspicions by 
the first responding law enforcement officers, there was a concern that arose when Shannon missed a doctor's appointment and failed to return calls from Texan friends. That wasn't like Shannon. Later, a close friend of Shannon, Nicole Atkinson, visited their home and found it eerily empty, prompting her to contact both Chris and the police. And then we move into Chris's behavior. His behavior during the interviews and public appearances raised suspicion. He appeared distraught, but lacked the expected emotional response from a worried husband and father. The lack of plausible explanations for Shannon and the children's disappearance, coupled with the inconsistencies in Chris's statements, intensified law enforcement suspicions. During the investigative process, law enforcement quickly initiated searches, including canvassing the neighborhoods, interviewing friends, family, and coworkers, and obtaining surveillance footage. Now, this is standard protocol in any missing persons case. They're going to canvass the neighborhoods and conduct neighborhood surveys. They're gonna talk with family, friends, coworkers, anybody that may have last talked to or seen Shannon. They're gonna try and gather information such as video footage, you mean, you name it, from ring doorbell cameras to surveillance cameras on houses, any local businesses, if they have information she had been there, they're going to do their best to get all the information that they can to start building a case and a direction to look for Shannon and her children. Next, you know, the FBI and the Colorado Bureau of Investigations became involved because at this point, they didn't have much to go on, but their suspicions about Chris were surmounting. So getting these two agencies involved is also a standard protocol with any law enforcement agency. The FBI is very well equipped at conducting conducting missing persons investigations and assisting local law enforcement. Authorities executed a search warrant on the Watts home where they found no signs of a struggle, but gathered potential evidence, including Shannon's personal phone and her personal belongings. Chris Watts, multiple media appearances and his behaviors during interviews, such as avoiding eye contact and providing conflicting information, raised red flags amongst all investigators. Now, after the initial investigation and needing to call in FBI and CBI for assistance, coupled with Chris's odd behavior and law enforcement's initial suspicions in this case, the suspicions in this case began to take another turn and evolve rapidly. And as the investigation progressed, Chris Watt's story began to unravel with detectives noticing inconsistencies and contradictions in his statements. The discovery of Chris, Chris's affair with a coworker added a whole other layer of complexity to the case, shedding light on a potential motive for the disappearance of Shannon and their two daughters. Forensic evidence, including GPS data and cell phone records and interviews, contradicted Chris Watt's account, building a case against him. Now, in these cases, when we start getting the FBI involved, CBI involved, and detectives have conflicting stories and information, they're going to put in affidavits for requests for what it's called a geofence warrant. And what it is, it's a request for GPS data and cell phone records. And what it is, is if you have your cell phone on you and you're driving through an area or you're in an area or near an area where cell phone towers are, your phone is automatically going to ping off the, of these towers and it creates what's called a geofence. So it will literally track your movement as you drive through these areas and you ping off of these local towers. Now, the investigation in its meticulousness, coupled with the growing suspicion surrounding Chris Watt's behavior and the mounting evidence against him, shifted the focus from a missing persons case to a homicide investigation. This marked transition eventually led to Watts' arrest and his eventual confession to the murders of Shannon, Bella, and Celeste. In the next segment of this episode, we're going to talk about the discovery of the bodies of Shannon, Bella, and Celeste. Stay tuned. 
The tragic discovery of the bodies of Shanann, Bella, and Celeste unfolded as a devastating culmination of the search efforts and investigations into their disappearance. Wednesday, August 15th, 2018. Concerns heightened when, when Shanann, Bella, and Celeste went missing, prompting an immediate search and public appeals for their return. Law enforcement scoured the area around the Watts home, including nearby fields and oil sites, but found no trace of them. Thursday, August 16th, 2018. The search expanded with police deploying drones, canine units, and more extensive efforts to locate any signs of the missing family. Chris Watts made a public plea for their return during interviews with the media maintaining his innocence. From Wednesday, August 15th through Friday, August 17th, 2018, police, FBI, and CBI tirelessly continued their investigation, interviewing Chris Watts multiple times and conducting searches of the Watts' residence and surrounding areas. From Thursday, August 16th through Saturday, August 18th, 2018, Chris Watts' inconsistent statements and suspicious behavior during interviews led the authorities' focus to shift toward him as being the prime suspect. On Monday, August 20th, 2018, in an unexpected turn, Chris Watts confessed to murdering Shanann and disposing of the bodies of Bella and Celeste at a nearby oil site where he worked. On Tuesday, August 21st, 2018, acting on Chris Watts' confession, authorities discovered the bodies of Shanann, Bella, and Celeste at an oil field owned by his employer and a Darko Petroleum Corporation in Frederick, Colorado. Shanann was found buried in a shallow grave, while the bodies of Bella and Celeste were found submerged in oil tanks. This discovery shook the nation and brought a heartbreaking end to the surf for Shanann and her beloved daughters. It marked a tragic conclusion to the case that had captivated the public and emphasized the depth of the tragedy that had unfolded within the Watts family. Coming up next, I'm going to talk about police interrogations with Chris Watts and his ever-changing story. Stay tuned. Now, as I looked at some of the first transcripts uh, from Chris's first interrogation, you can see the detective asking Chris, saying, Chris, we need your help in finding Shanann, Bell, and Celeste. Can you tell us everything you remember from the morning of their disappearance? To which Chris replies, I woke up and Shannon and I had an emotional conversation. I then left for work. That's the last time I saw them. The detective replies back with another question saying, well, you know, did Shannon leave on her own? To which Chris replies, yes, she must have. When I look at the transcripts from the second interrogation, I pick out a couple of key points. The detective asked Chris, you know, some of your statements don't align with the evidence we found. We need the truth, Chris. What really happened? To which Chris replies, I told Shannon I wanted a separation. We had an argument. When I came back inside, she had harmed the girls. To which the detective replies, so you're saying Shannon did something to the girls? And Chris replies, well, yes, in a fit of rage. I did something terrible to her. When we looked at, looked at and we broke down the third interrogation, you see the detective asking Chris, saying, you know, Chris, the evidence can contradict your story again. We found no trace of Shanann harming the girls. What's the real story here, man? Let us know. And Chris is like, look, I snapped and I hurt Shanann, but it was actually me who harmed the girls too. So at this point, Chris is starting to kind of elude to his activity during this whole thing. So the detect re detective replies back saying, Chris, where are they? Where are they, Chris? And Chris replies, they're at the oil site where I work. I put Shanann in a shallow grave and the girls in oil tanks. Throughout all the interrogations, Chris's narrative changed and evolved. He shifted the blame and details in an attempt to cover up his actions. 
his inconsistent statements and changing story raised suspicion, eventually leading to his confession and the devastating discovery of the bodies at the oil sites. So at this point, you know, the police have done their best to get a confession from Chris because nothing is adding up. And Chris, you know, I don't know if he's just tired of being on the run about it or he feels guilty or he's tired of being interrogated and he just wants it to be done, right? In his mind, he's like, okay, it's time for me to confess. I did this. I did this horrible things to my wife and my children. And now I'm going to say something. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the evidence and the forensic analysis done in this case. Stay tuned. The evidence and forensic analysis in the Chris Watts case played a pivotal role in unraveling the truth behind the disappearance and subsequent murders of Shanann, Bella, and Celeste. The forensic examination, autopsy, Autopsies were performed on Shanann, Bella, and Celeste. They revealed the cause of death. Shanann was from strangulation, while Bella and Celeste died from asphyxiation due to smothering. When we look at the crime scene investigation, forensic teams meticulously combed through the Watts home, Watts's workplace, and the oil site where the bodies were found. They collected various pieces of evidence, including DNA samples, hair fibers, and soil which linked Chris Watts to the crime scene. In breaking down the digital evidence, cell phone data records conducted of Chris's cell phone, the cell phone records provided crucial information about Chris Watts's movements on the day of the murders, contradicting his initial statements. Now, this goes back to that geofence warrant that I was talking about earlier in this episode. Essentially, what they did was they put an affidavit for a warrant to track his cell phone movements based off the towers he was near and driving by. This is where they got the information from which clearly contradicted his recollection of events. Now, when we look at surveillance footage, surveillance cameras captured footage of Chris Watts' actions and behaviors, further contradicting accounts of his events. And then we get into witness testimonies. Testimony from friends and colleagues revealed details about Chris Watts' behavior, his marital issues, and his affair, contributing to the narrative surrounding possible motives. And this led into the eventual confession of Chris Watts. Chris Watts changing stories during interrogations, initially denying involvement, then shifting blame to Shanann and finally confessing to the murders, provided crucial insights into the sequence of events. They found traces of foul play. Detectives found evidence of foul play in Watts' home, including signs of a struggle and cleaned surfaces, again, contradicting Watts' story. And then the analysis of the vehicles, the transportation of the bodies. An analysis of Chris Watts' vehicle and work truck revealed traces of evidence linked to the transportation of the bodies. The cumulative weight of forensic evidence, digital records, witness testimonies, this multifaceted investigation provided a comprehensive understanding of the tragic events and ultimately led to Chris Watts' conviction. He was convicted for the heinous murders of his wife and two daughters. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the legal proceedings and the trial in this case. Stay tuned. The legal proceedings against Chris Watts. Following his arrest and confession, Chris Watts faced legal proceedings that led to his conviction for the murders of Shannon, Bella, and Celeste. First, you're formally charged, and then you've got your initial court appearances. On August 21st, 2018, Chris Watts was formally charged with multiple counts of first-degree murder, unlawful termination of a pregnancy, and tampering with deceased bodies. On August 21st, 2018, 
a series of court hearings and appearances were conducted to establish probable cause, during which Watts remained in custody without bond. As we go into part two, then we go into the, the plea phase in which Chris pled guilty. And then we go into the sentencing phase. On November 19th, 2018, Chris Watts was formally sentenced to five life sentences without the possibility of parole, three to be served consecutively for the murders of Shannon, Bella, and Celeste and two to be served concurrently for the unborn child and the tampering with deceased bodies. And this ultimately led to Chris's incarceration and imprisonment. Chris Watts is currently serving his sentence in a Wisconsin prison separated from the general population due to the high profile nature of his case and for his safety. Now in the prison system, they have a class of prisoners called PC or protective custody. This is often done for high profile cases and or um, gangsters, anybody that cannot be housed in the same general population. The legal proceedings, including his guilty plea and subsequent sentencing concluded swiftly due to the overwhelming evidence against him and his own confession. The legal proceedings, including his guilty plea and subsequent sentencing concluded swiftly due to the overwhelming evidence against him and his own confession. The legal proceedings, including his guilty plea and subsequent sentencing concluded swiftly due to the overwhelming evidence against him and his own confession. Some of the courtroom testimonies from the prosecution included forensic experts who presented forensic evidence linking Chris Watts to the crime scene, including DNA, hair, fibers, and samples. Now you may be asking, why are we doing all this and throwing all this money at this when a guy's confessing to murdering his wife and daughters? There have been periods throughout history where people confess to crimes that they did not actually commit. And for the sake of putting an innocent man behind bars, even though there's a confession on the table by Chris himself, the investigation is going to continue and they're going to conduct these analysis and link it all together to make sure that this isn't just a desperate thing that Chris is trying to do. Investigators also testified about the search process, findings at the crime scene, and Chris Watts' behavior during interrogations. Then Chris's defense chimed in. They used character witnesses uh, who potentially presented character witness testimony about Chris's demeanor, behavior, and relationships before the crimes. They brought in mental health experts. The use of mental health experts might have called upon mental health professionals to discuss Watts's mental state or emotional condition during the time of events. And then the evidence was presented. Autopsies were presented, which included autopsies of all three, of Shannon, Bella, and Celeste. Digital evidence, cell phone records, GPS data, surveillance footage, supporting the timeline of events and contradicting Watts' statements. Then you have the crime scene analysis, the forensic evidence, which was brought forward from Chris's home, his workplace, and the oil sites where the bodies were discovered. And then the introduction of Chris's confession, audio recordings and transcripts of multiple confessions and statements to law enforcement to include all of the interrogations prior. The trial likely involved intense scrutiny of the evidence, testimonies, and legal arguments presented by both the prosecution and the defense. However, it's important to note that trials can evolve and include unforeseen testimonies or evidence as they progress, potentially altering the course of proceedings or the final outcome. Now we get to the verdict and sentencing phase. On November 6, 2018, Chris Watts pled guilty to all charges, which included multiple counts of first-degree murder, unlawful termination of pregnancy. On November 19, 2018, Chris Watts received his formal sentencing. The court sentenced him to five consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole, three life sentences for the murder of Shannon, Bella, and Celeste, 
to be served consecutively. Two life sentences for the unborn child and tampering with deceased bodies to be served concurrently with three aforementioned life sentences. This sentencing effectively ensured Chris Watts would spend the rest of his life in prison without a chance of parole. The judge's decision reflected the severity of the crimes committed and the irrevocable loss suffered by the victims, family, and community. Coming up next in this episode, we're going to talk about the impact and aftermath this case had on the... Now, when we look at the impact this case on the community and society as a whole, highlighting various aspects that reverberated through discussions on domestic violence, family dynamics, and the criminal justice system. The case shed light on the complexities of domestic violence, showcasing how seemingly ordinary or idyllic families could hide underlying issues. It prompted conversations about recognizing warning signs, seeking help, and supporting victims of domestic violence. The tragic deaths of Shanann, Bella, and Celeste prompted discussions on family dynamics, the pressures of parenthood, and the tolls of strained relationships. The case emphasized importance of open communication, seeking support, and fostering healthy family environments. The swift legal proceedings, including Chris Watts' guilty plea and subsequent sentencing, sparked discussions about the efficiency of the justice system in handling high-profile cases. It raised questions about plea deals, the death penalty, and sentencing in cases of heinous crimes prompting debates about the appropriate punishment for such acts. The extensive media coverage and public interest in this case underscored the power of media in shaping public perception and understanding criminal cases. It also highlighted the ethical considerations in reporting and discussing sensitive details of a tragedy involving victims, particularly when it involves minors. The case led to discussions about mental health, stress, and coping mechanisms, particularly within relationships and families facing difficulties. The case emphasized the importance of mental health awareness and seeking professional help for managing stress and emotional issues. Ultimately, the case of Chris Watts and the tragic loss of Shannon, Bella, and Celeste prompted a wide range of discussions on societal issues, serving as a stark reminder of the complexities within families and the devastating consequences of unsolved conflicts and domestic violence. Family violence, including domestic violence, is a deeply complex issue influenced by various psychological, social, and environmental factors. Understanding the warning signs and addressing the issues requires a multifaceted approach. As we conclude today's episode, I urge each of you to take a moment of reflection. Chris Watt's case highlighted the sobering reality of domestic violence and the tragic consequences it can bring. It's crucial to turn this tragedy into a catalyst for change. Awareness matters. Recognize the warning signs of domestic violence within your own life or community. Awareness is the first step toward intervention and support in those in need. Offer support to victims and advocate for policies that protect and empower survivors. Lastly, be the change. Each of us plays a role in preventing similar tragedies. By taking proactive steps, speaking out against violence, and prompting healthy relationships, we contribute to a safer, more compassionate society. Together, we can transform this heartbreaking story into a beacon of awareness and prevention. Together, let's work toward a world where families are safe, supported, and free from the cycle of violence. Thank you for joining us today, and let's continue these crucial conversations within our communities. Dear Deadly Deed listeners, thank you for listening and joining us today. Your commitment to understanding and reflecting on such sensitive topics is vital in fostering awareness and preventing similar tragedies. Let's continue these conversations, spread awareness, and work together to create a safer, more compassionate world for everyone to live in. For more information and support in regards to domestic violence awareness, 
you can contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. There are also local shelters for domestic violence and organizations within your communities. There's also online resources offered. Websites like RAIN, Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, and the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence offer information, resources, and tools to understanding, preventing, and addressing domestic violence. Law enforcement agencies and legal aid services can provide guidance on legal matters, protection orders, and assessing justice in cases of domestic violence. And as always, remember, if you or someone you know is in immediate danger, please call emergency services immediately. That's 911 for the United States. Seeking help and support is crucial, and there are dedicated organizations and professionals ready to offer assistance, guidance, and a safe haven for those affected by domestic violence. You've just listened to the Deadly Deeds True Crime Podcast, where every whisper holds a mystery and every story chills to the bone. From unsolved murders to baffling disappearances, we dissect the enigmas they keep us awake at night. Subscribe now and join us as we delve into the most perplexing and bone-chilling true crime stories. Mm-hmm.